should wait to come out, that you should uh, try to gain rank or status before you do that. That's a bunch of bull It's a new day in the music industry, and I can reach my fans. We're getting there. I've caused harm to the political agenda, and which I'm actually happy for. I would say probably the best message to them is that they're on the wrong side of history. Whether you're lesbian, gay, bi, transgender, or whatever, Love is love. Shout it out to the world. The Michelle Miao Show. Your A through Z covering the LGBT, LMNOP, and everyone in between show. And now here's your host, Michelle Miao. Welcome. Welcome to 2017. It's January 2nd, uh, this Monday, and I am in studio, although... It seems like everyone else is still <laughs> celebrating the new year. It's kind of awkward. I haven't, you know, celebrated a new year or the actual like new year day um, as it falls on a weekend. We are we're so spoiled, you know, because everybody gets these like extra days or holidays to take off. And so it seemed like 2016 ended abruptly and then it was 2017 and we're back at it. But maybe we're supposed to feel that because... Well, the fight is on. <laughs> that was many of the text messages I was getting from friends. Happy New Year. Let the fight begin. I, th- I see that uh, many activists, many social justice advocates are out there already doing what we do best. And that is, that is fight for, for justice. I'm, all, all, I'm obviously referring to, you know, here in America at least, uh, what the... The, what it's been like since Donald Trump accepted um, his defeat of Hillary Clinton as president of the United States. And uh, we continue to to monitor what his administration is going to look like and what his presidency is going to be like. And what we think is at risk is everything but white rights. <laughs> Let's get today's show started. I think before we start in 2017 with some powerful, impactful interviews. Oh, we're going to spend today playing some documentaries that I produced for San Francisco Pride. I kind of gave you a glimpse if you tuned into Progressive Voices sometime soon, but we'll play the whole thing today. And then we'll also take a look back at some of the most powerful interviews that we've done in 2016. So let's get today's program started. Today's show is brought to you by Pacific Fertility Center. When life needs a little encouragement, Pacific Fertility Center will be right by your side. Visit PacificFertilityCenter.com. The first, uh, I guess it's not an interview, but the first profile piece, a short documentary that I produced during uh, Pride in San Francisco back in June is one of Larry Yang. He is a spiritual meditation um, guide, uh, I guess you could say, professor, teacher. Uh, he's also committed to serving multicultural, queer, and the activist communities. And I think that, you know, listening to him while we have to do all this hard work, it can become a burden. It can impact our mental state of mind uh, as you, you know, serve yourself within your communities in these spaces where we continuously battle injustices. So, Here's the short documentary featuring Grand Marshal Larry Yang.
if I grew up in an immigrant Chinese family. Very early on, I knew that I was different, and I was attracted to other boys and in ways that I couldn't even describe. Making it sense in a traditional Chinese family was difficult enough as it is, and, and I didn't have exactly the words for my experience. Throughout my growing up, I've had challenges in, in terms of fitting in, belonging. Even though I was able to succeed in certain ways, I came to what I do today basically because I was an incredibly unhappy person. I self-medicated with uh, drugs and alcohol. In that process of recovering, I was looking for a place of stillness. I turned to meditation. Gradually, I became a substance abuse counselor and eventually retrained as a social worker and a psychotherapist and began incorporating this practice of coming back to a deeper sense of who I was as a person that no one could take away from me. Those of us who are part of marginalized communities, our path is not easy. The unconsciousness of the larger culture creates a lot of harm and, and oppression in our lives. How do we move through that to transform that without becoming that ourselves? Mindfulness is always a choice point. What is going to lead to more suffering for ourselves and others? What is going to lead to greater freedom? If we approach our resource in that manner, I think we will be able to use the contact of cultures skillfully so that we can co-create as opposed to being imposed upon. The insidious characteristic of dominant cultures is that they tend to dominate. What is so important is how do we begin to diversify that sense of dominance, especially in the Bay Area. You have this confluence of people not with the exact same experience, but with very similar ways of feeling excluded or marginalized. And it is such an opportunity to reverse the diaspora, to come together to align, to create some solidarity. At East Bay Meditation Center in particular, we did things to include the multiple communities in Oakland. We hung the, the rainbow flag before the altar was constructed. We went into the community to find out what the needs were. I hope that the work I do gives people that psychic and spiritual space to do this indispensable work around social justice and racial justice. It is a process. We don't arrive at being human. We are.
It's really the journey, it's really the evolution. We're raising all of us together, not just our own individual happiness. Oh, that was so, so beautiful. That gave me back this sense of peace and direction. I was feeling so lost, you know, and I don't share a lot about my personal life, but the last 24 hours certainly has been somewhat of a surprise for me. 2016 didn't end the way I wanted to. I wanted it to end happily and peacefully. And then 2017 didn't start the way I wanted it to. I wanted to start off with positive vibes and happiness So I won't go into detail what was going on in my personal life, but what I needed today was to feel centered again and to know, to know, you know, what my heart desires, what I want as a person, who I am as a person, who I am as Michelle Miao, and the decisions that I make are decisions for myself and I needed, I needed to be grounded in that way to trust myself. And so listening to Larry Yang and, you know, coming into myself to prepare for 2017 and what's to come and the work that we have to do, yeah, you know, my voice has to be centered, has to be focused. And so let's start with that. Let's start with some mindfulness. Let's start with some meditation. Let's start with, you know, offering yourself space to do that, to do just that, to center yourself. The next documentary that we produce for San Francisco Pride during uh, Pride is another Grand Marshal. Um, I think I want to play, I want to play the one featuring Fresh White, who also is a uh, another voice here in the San Francisco Bay Area who touches on mindfulness and meditation Um, But with Fresh, you know, what I love about his story is the story of being actually marginalized as a black trans man in the San Francisco Bay Area. So here's the documentary featuring Fresh White. I was labeled female at birth, but recognized myself as a boy when I was six is the earliest that I remember. Didn't know of other options. So as I grew older, lived my life as a dyke. It actually wasn't until I was like 38 that I started thinking about transitioning. And I spent like 10 years, like almost every day going, do I do this? Is it anti-female? Like, why am I doing this? And then finally, when I turned uh, 48, I started taking testosterone. It's almost like you come out to yourself and then you come out to the world as gay and then you come out to yourself as trans and then you come out to the world as trans. I lost my best friend when I came out, like at 15, so she just couldn't deal with it. Four years later, I ran into her and she apologized, but that was really one of the hardest parts. Being a butch person, you aren't represented anywhere in the media, so people don't see you. For example, right now we're having all this bathroom stuff come up. Well, guess what? This has been a butch experience since the beginning of time. One of the things that we're not talking about is the suicide rates of transgender men. 38 to 56% in studies have attempted suicide or have suicide thoughts. 55% of men who are trans, who may be Latin or Native American, are committing suicide, which is an epidemic rate. 
Sometimes there's issues around people not finding, no matter what they do, what criteria of what they think their bodies are supposed to be. Some of it is from bullying, isolation, and discrimination with employment. If you're not fitting the mold of what your employer wants, you may not be able to get a job. And of course, that I think the numbers for people of color are like 40% less likely to find work because of, you know, we have racism in this country. A couple of years ago, I found myself in a conversation with someone who was telling me what it was like to empower someone to find their own answers and be their best selves. And at that moment on, I, t I became a coach. And so that's like my life work is helping people to grow, meet their goals and live their dreams. In the process of that work, I also discovered employment services at the LGBT Center. My goal for working there is to be in a place in community, working with community to help build people's self-esteem, help them, support them in creating self-care practices so that we can help people believe that not only can they get a job, but they deserve the job and they deserve to keep it. In order for transgender individuals or gender variant individuals to really be safe, we really need to enact laws and put laws in place that protect them with employment, that allow them to get the documents that they need at free or low cost, that protect them with medical care, and also to enforce training once you put those laws in place. So don't just put the laws in place. Every city government office should receive training on how to work with trans people, how to treat trans patrons. I think one of the important parts for me about being a Grand Marshal is the idea that there are trans men and trans men of color out there who can see me as a happy and healthy being and know that they too can be happy and fulfilled. Like that's what I want to bring. Really helping cut back the violence, really helping cut back the suicide if I can. Just showing people, you know, as what we now call a cliche, it gets better. And that was Fresh White. You definitely should look him up. And I love that there are so many people in our community who do different things in our spaces. And we all play a role with Fresh, his voice as a black trans man, and coming out and talking about his experiences hopefully uplifts everyone else in our community, you know, who, who share the same experiences. And these things are just so important. So congratulations to Fresh White for being one of the Grand Marshals of San Francisco Pride last year. We're going to take a quick break, but when we come back, we'll continue playing interviews and uh, short documentaries that I produced for San Francisco Pride last year. So don't go away. Come right back. You're listening to the Progressive Voices channel on TuneIn. Please help us grow. Tell your friends to tune in to Progressive Voices. Find out more at ProgressiveVoices.com. Babe, I think we're ready. We're really doing this. Yeah, I'm ready for our family. So where do we start? <laughs> Starting a family is a team effort, and when life needs a little encouragement, Pacific Fertility Center will be right by your side. As a unified team of the best fertility specialists, guided by the highest ethical standards, 
Pacific Fertility Center provides patients with compassionate fertility care. Visit PacificFertilityCenter.com. This is a true story about two best friends who fell in love and moved across the country to the city by the bay. After many years of dating, Jen and Jacqueline are now planning their dream wedding. It's a big moment in everyone's life when you say I do, especially when you can make choices for your authentic life and your loved ones too. Congratulations, Jen and Jacqueline. Live your authentic life. A special message brought to you by Weatherford BMW. When asked, 90% of seniors say they want to remain in their own homes as they age. Hello, I'm Charles Symes, owner of Allegra Home Care. Our caregivers have been serving seniors and the aging community for over 20 years. Allegra Home Care is the only Bay Area home care agency that is LGTB certified. Helping LGTB seniors stay at home is our passion. Please visit us at www.alegrecare.com. Allegra Home Care serving your community. And now, back to the Michelle Meow Show. Welcome back. Happy New Year. Thank you so much for tuning in to Progressive Voices here on the 2nd this Monday. It's the second day of January in 2017. I think when I was like 15 years old, I thought in the year 2017, the Terminator was going to come for all of us. <laughs> Kenny, our producer, is back. Hey, Kenny, what's going on? You can put you can pot your mic up. I haven't. We haven't been in the studio together in a while. Uh, we're we're replaying a ton of a ton of uh, replays there in December. It just it just you know, I was talking to the guys at Progressive Voices. It was just such a it was just so tough that I just wanted to ride out the rest of 2016 and say, let's do better in 2017. Oh, yeah, I mean, I know it's been a rough year. Busy, busy and all that. It- yeah, <laughs> yeah. So many, many people are blaming 2016, you know, the year uh, for it just being such a bad year. We had some significant deaths in the uh, days leading up to the actual new year. But I want to remind everyone, you know, the year itself can't kill anybody. It's us as humans and how we interact with one another. That's what needs to change. And I think so many things just happened in a short period of time that everybody wants to blame the year. But let's remember, the year itself, 2016, it did not kill somebody. (laughs) It did not create, you know, the uh, natural disasters. It did not... Uh, continue the wars or acts of terror that uh, that we that impact and plague our lives. It didn't it didn't provide the hate, you know, that keeps us divided or or keeps us oppressed and marginalized. It is up to us to make the changes we want to see for our life. So something to remember in 2017. The next uh, interview or short documentary I want to play features Mia Satya Too Much. She was one of the Grand Marshals for San Francisco Pride. And her story is of resilience, of adapting to new changes, and also being courageous and uplifting herself to be able to continue on with life. So you might be feeling like 2016 was the crappiest year of your entire life. 
but life does go on and it's up to you to make the best of your own life. So here is Mia Satya too much. I was walking to a party. I sat down on a park bench and I was approached by two guys. They were making flirty comments with me. Once they realized I was trans, I was attacked. I was punched, I was kicked. While I was laying on the ground, I was sexually assaulted by a third person. I wasn't sure if I was going to make it. I really thought that I might die. And I knew that in that moment that I was going to continue dedicating my life to fighting for justice. My parents didn't support me as a trans person. I was an only child. I thought that they were going to support me with my college. They didn't want to support my lifestyle. And my lifestyle is an activist and community organizer. I started supporting myself at 18. I thought that I would run away before then, but I didn't think that I would make it that far coming from a small town in Texas. I moved to San Francisco with two huge duffel bags and like $40. I was homeless off and on for about two years. It was really tough. If you go to a shelter, you are going to face extra harassment and belittling comments from other people in the shelter, sometimes from the staff. I got my first job in the city at Goodwill. I volunteered at different nonprofits and I just showed up to everything and I met a lot of people at rallies at City Hall doing lobbying around legislation. I was also receiving services from a lot of these programs that supported homeless youth, LGBT youth, and low-income people in general. Through becoming a participant in those programs, I went from being an intern to being staff to being the coordinator of a program. Now I am the director of Transitional AGU San Francisco, which is a policy initiative that works to expand and improve services for youth who, for whatever reason, haven't had a successful shot at transitioning to adulthood. After experiencing homelessness, it made me more passionate about fighting for economic justice. And a huge part of what I do now is actually improving the services for homeless people in our city by offering trainings, by catalyzing coalitions that can better provide services. We have to advocate for equitable outcomes in regards to housing, healthcare, education for people in our community because trans people are disproportionately impacted by discrimination, violence. It will take a community-wide response to stop this. I survived violence and discrimination and homelessness and all of that has made me who I am today. I know what it's like to have nothing and to be a victim. And now I know what it's like to be a survivor and to thrive and to go back and help other people and hope that 
you know, in the future, no one will have to go through what I went through. And that was Mia Satya, Too Much. Love that story um, as we share these stories of resilience and adaptation. And, you know, these are voices from some of the most courageous social justice activists here in the Bay Area. And we're really, you know, lucky to have these voices here. And we learn from them and also inspires us to keep continuing on, uh, which in 2017, I think that that's something we have to remind ourselves that we are better, we are strong, and together we'll get through it. The next short documentary I want to play features Janetta Johnson, who's the executive director of the Transgender Gender Variant Intersex uh, Project. And the organization is one of the only organizations that provides resources exclusively for trans uh, women, trans men, um, but also trans women of color. And their whole thing is about, you know, reducing recidivism as well as reducing the harm and trauma that trans people face when they're in this broken criminal justice system. So when we talk about, you know, the work that we need to do in 2017, it's going to be hard for so many people to know this and to to accept this, but we have to fix what's broken. And what's what's broken isn't isn't just like, you know, what's what, pointing out what's wrong is what I'm saying. There's so many opinions and people who used to this broken society that it's going to be very difficult for them to note the changes that we need to make. So here's the interview featuring Janetta Johnson. Transgender people end up in jail because there's a lot of prejudice and discrimination and hate that goes out to transgender people. There's a lot of abuse and trauma that has been entrusted on transgender people solely for being just transgender. Sometimes we have to turn to street economy to survive and it seems like that's the thing that's more available to us. We live in that constant fear of being attacked, are being um, denied access, and a large part of that is solely based on our gender orientation. It's very depressing and very traumatizing being housed in the shoe. They put you in dangerous situations where you know they know that you will be harmed, and they put other people in a cell with you knowing that they will harm you. It's just a place that is just very, very mentally, emotionally, psychologically taxing on an individual's mental health. The lack of resources for transgender people, it keeps people in a panic mode. They are sitting in that cell. They don't have the information they need in order to plan to leave out. A lot of people think that in the criminal justice system, somehow once you get in there, that it's gonna fix something for you, but it's not set up to fix anything. It's set up to, to destroy you, to keep you coming back so you can continue to pay into this system that is making all these people rich. And it's just a money-making industry that is just not supportive of helping people at all. And then when you're transgender, it's even worse. 
When I spent three and a half years in prison, I had the opportunity to meet with every transgender person that was inside the system. And I, I made it my business because when I realized that I was there and I was going to be there, I focused on reentry recidivism. How do I reduce the risk for myself? How do I support my sisters and brothers not returning to these situations? I took a risk and I did use every strategy I can to open the door to be able to talk to people and also listen to people and see how they feel. Now we here at TGIJP have the opportunity to work with some women that are getting out, even though we're very low funded, but we have an opportunity to provide some services when people get out. But we need them to be accessing services on the inside. So by the time they get here, they've already done some of the work when a transgender individual gets out of prison, the biggest challenge they have to face is housing. There's no housing in San Francisco already. The services are very limited, particularly because of the way the shelter system is set up. You have to go and get beds daily, and it would probably be best if they just get into some type of transitional program, which is still a huge waiting list. This is a stack of letters. They're from people that are in prison throughout the state of California. These are all the people that are transgender, gender nonconforming, GLBTQI people write us to help us find the latest information on how to transition while in custody. People write us to report abuse and trauma that they've experienced in prison. If people feel like they're not getting adequate medical or mental health care, they'll write us and ask us to provide information and resources on how to make that happen. These letters are very important because a lot of transgender people don't receive a lot of outside mail. So we do the best that we can to be that surrogate family and just follow up with them and check in with them, see how they're doing, see if we could send them a smile, a love, a hug, a card, or resources. I think what transgender people need to reduce the returning to prison or putting themselves at risk for prison is equal access. Society systems need to stop perpetuating their traumas on us. Stop attacking us. Stop treating us like a third citizen. Don't reflect your anger, your hate on us. Let us live our lives to our fullest authentic self. And that was Janetta Johnson, the executive director of TGIJP, the Transgender Gender Variant Intersex Justice Project. Make sure you support an organization like TGIJP. And, you know, the reason why I say this is just as Janetta had said, even though they're they're funded, um, you know, with a limited amount of funds and they're a small nonprofit group, the work that they do is just so incredibly important. And uh, I can't think of anything else so courageous than an, an organization, an executive director who makes it their entire world, you know, their entire life's mission to make sure that there is justice for the trans community in this way. I talk a, lot, a whole lot about being targeted differently here in the United States as far as our broken criminal justice system goes and the way that our lives are policed. I had just read an article um, recently about a gentleman who had committed suicide uh, after being arrested at San Diego Pride for public nudity for wearing an outfit that it's arguable whether he was actually nude or not. Um, 
and and you know these are these are examples of how something that can be considered quote unquote against the law then becomes just this barbaric way of policing our freedom of expression or our authentic lives and and it further oppresses us into a system where we can't get out and it results in death so you know i may sound dramatic but this is a great example of it i'm i'm saying it this is the truth it actually ends up in death it ends up in the loss of life for innocent human beings who are beautiful just the way they are so please support the uh, TGIJP or any other nonprofit organization that does this important work to fight for our freedoms. The last documentary I want to play before we go uh, to a break would be from St. James Infirmary, and they have their executive director on there to talk about um, the work that they do, and that's Stephanie Ashley. St. James Infirmary is a nonprofit organization here in the San Francisco Bay Area that provides resources and is a voice for sex workers. So let's check out the short documentary. We are a healthcare clinic and social service organization run by and for the sex worker community. It was started as a response to the criminalization of sex workers here in San Francisco. Prostitution is still illegal in San Francisco, in California, and everywhere across the country except for certain parts of Nevada. The criminalization of our community directly contributes to the harms that we experience. Criminalization leads to an increase in violence against sex workers. It leads to an increase in isolation, depression, loss of familial ties and social connection. It leads to higher rates of HIV and STIs. There is a tremendous amount of economic disparity in San Francisco and a lot of people in this city turn to sex work as a way to, to survive and for some people to thrive. And we don't believe that that should be something that gets you thrown in jail. Let's say you're a mother and you're um, arrested for prostitution. You can't provide for your child, you can't provide for your family, you're not working. There's court fees, there's bail fees, there's stuff that's taken away from providing for your family when it's a job that's a choice. It's a job that can be a choice. It's a job that can be safe. Also, when a, an employment is in the shadows or it's illegal, it makes it a little bit more dangerous because you don't have protection from government or respect from society. When we think of sex workers, we think of escorts and dancers and exotic dancers, go-go dancers. Um, adult film entertainers, and, and we think of those in sort of the more romantic sex worker roles. But who we also reach are the survival sex workers and sex trafficked individuals and uh, voluntary escorts and those who don't even know that they're actually engaging in sex work for trade, for housing, for food. Within that is representation from women of color, minorities of all different genders and persuasions, more specifically transgender women, transgender men, and gay men of color as well. And of course, lots and lots of women. It's one of those things where you never would know who's a sex worker because it's so hidden. And once you find out what the dynamics are in the work of sex work, then you kind of break down the reasons why and that this is a viable job and it is something that people do. It's more of a self-care service than anything and that kind of service deserves support and decriminalization. 
sex work is work and most individuals working in the sex industry don't have health benefits. And many individuals who are sex workers receive judgmental and discriminatory care when they try to access mainstream health institutions. We offer um, a whole host of services ranging from primary medical care to mental health care, substance use services, harm reduction services, HIV services. We offer support groups and outreach and needle exchange, overdose prevention. 70% of sex workers in the Bay Area are LGBT. A third of the sex workers that we see here at St. James are trans or gender non-conforming. We have a program called the STRIDE program, which is a peer-based transgender health program where folks can get access to hormone replacement therapy and counseling from their peers. I'm not sure there's any place in the U.S. and maybe even the world that has a transgender sex worker run uh, peer-based program as St. James does. What this means for our clients is um, hopefully that we're creating a really safe space in a judgment-free zone to talk about whatever is on their mind relating to their sex work, their involvement in the sex trades, and their status as a transgender non-conforming or intersex person. Sex worker rights are an LGBT issue as much as they are an economic justice issue, a reproductive justice issue, a racial justice issue. Sex worker rights really are a set of issues that are at the intersections of a lot of movements and what we want to do at St. James is shine light on that and create spaces where sex workers don't have to be ashamed to talk about the realities of their lives and their needs. All right, and that was Steph uh, Joy or Steph Stephanie Ashley, who's the executive director of St. James Infirmary. Again, think about it, you know, so what is going to move our community forward? How do we save everyone else? It begins with having compassion and an open heart for everyone, and then you've got to actually execute and be actionable. Think about where your money's going when you're donating to a cause. You know, I always like to think about, well, what are the most, you, you know, who, who needs it the most? What resources? What are, so think, just kind of think about how the system applies and who is the most vulnerable. That is what I asked for 2017. We're going to take a quick break, but when we come back, uh, we'll play another interview from a social justice activist and educator, Jeff Chang, about his new book, We Gonna Be All Right. Uh, that's what I hope for in 2017. Don't go away. The spotlight on success and achievement goes to LGBTQI members of the Bay Area who have demonstrated an incredible amount of success. We're very proud to announce that this month's spotlight on success and achievement is Rick Welts. Well, it's been an unbelievable stretch of time, obviously. Uh, everything the Warriors have gone through this season, really a magical season that ended in a championship. Uh, and now to, to top it off a week later with the opportunity to participate in the Pride Parade in San Francisco, it's, uh, it's a pretty wonderful time. 
You know, it's been a journey, right? We're all on our own personal journeys, and uh, the last four years has been a remarkable part of my life, but it, it's definitely a part of my life. Uh, you know, the decisions I made four years ago to come out in the way that I did, obviously, you know, I had decided I was signing up for something going forward and being part of the discussion, uh, and, you know, I welcome that. And this is, uh, you know, for me, a real honor to, to be participating in this way, and. I guess in, in some ways it, it will be a demonstration of how far professional sports has come in, in a very short period of time, uh, not as far as our society has come, so I think we have a lot to celebrate. Wow, I, I don't think I have any secrets, I don't think I'm that mysterious, you know, I've got a uh, pretty simple life, I like pretty simple things, uh, you know, I've, I've got a great partner, his name's Todd Gage, uh, he has two wonderful children, a 14 year old girl and a 10 year old boy. I, I uh, got off the parade route, got into a car with them, we drove to Lake Tahoe, and I got to watch 14-year-old girls play four soccer games over the course of the weekend and then drive back to the Bay Area. So that's my idea of an exciting weekend, you know, spending it with the kids and my partner and getting to do, you know, the most basic things that any family would get to do. Spotlight on success and achievement presented by Wells Fargo. Together, we'll go far. And now, back to the Michelle Meow Show. Welcome back. Happy New Year. Welcome to the new 2017 year. The year of robots and cyborgs and whatever else that I thought was going to happen when I was a young kid. I was really into the Terminator. Um, and that's probably because... I was a huge fan of Linda Hamilton, who's really just hot and amazing in Terminator 2. <laughs> I, cer I certainly wasn't checking out Arnold Schwarzenegger. Um, anyway, I hope you've been enjoying the show. We're replaying short documentaries I produced for San Francisco Pride, along with director Jethro Patelinghag. He's, uh, he's awesome. He's amazing. He's here in San Francisco. He's done a documentary on the whole Facebook, My Name Is situation. And for those of you who don't remember, Sister Roma, who's the most photographed nun in the entire world, uh, had led a, a fight against Facebook for their authentic names policy. And that was if you had a nickname or a different name that didn't wasn't quote unquote legal, then they shut your account down. And obvious for obvious reasons, you know, as that applies to LGBTQ and, and marginalized communities, it'd be very dangerous to go around policing people for the name that they choose to use. There's so many different reasons why we don't use our authentic name and whatever that means or legal name. Because um, that name wasn't even, you know, it's not like you chose it. Somebody gave it to you. <laughs> All right, let's continue on with the show. The next interview I want to play is an interview I did with Jeff Chang, who's a social activist as well as an author and an educator. His latest book, We're Gonna Be All Right, has a lot to do with the racial injustice that this country faces and goes through and kind of talking it through of how we can have hope for the future when it comes to um, you know, the mistreatment and unequal situations we find people in, especially the African-American community. So let's head on to that show and play that interview. LGBT, LMNOP, and everyone in between. 
here's Michelle Miao. Welcome to the Michelle Miao Show, your A through Z covering the LGBT, LMNOP, and everyone in between show. Tonight we have a really great show for you. We'll do two in-depth conversations about racism and ageism. So we're touching on a couple uh, isms, I guess you should say, on the show tonight. So our first guest is author Jeff Chang with his new book, We're Gonna Be Alright, Notes on Race and Resegregation. And then we're going to speak to Barbara Brooker, who is the organizer of the Age March right here in San Francisco. But before we get started with our program, let's check in with what people are saying about Donald Trump. And I bring him up because I know you probably tuned in to the debate tonight, but what I'd like to do is go back and read people's tweets, like tweets from Rosie O'Donnell. If you'll remember from the first debate, Hillary Clinton did call Donald Trump out on his misogyny, and he responded by bringing up Rosie O'Donnell. So what did she say about that? Here's Rosie's tweet. The five minutes orange anus can't seem to get over. Tell the truth, shame the Donald. Hashtag, I'm with her. <laughs> I'm sorry, I should have warned you that you should have covered your children's ears on that orange anus. Although, it would be kind of funny if that's what we called a president, orange anus. Next tweet comes from Madonna herself in defending Rosie O'Donnell when Donald Trump mentioned her in the first debate. Here's Madonna's tweet. Mess with my girl Rosie and you're messing with me. Cruelty never made anyone a winner. Heart sign, hashtag, rubble hearts forever. Yay, Madonna, you're on the right team. You're on the right side of history. Uh, I wish that you were on my team. I mean, gosh, Team Madonna, Team Rosie against Donald Trump? That's pretty scary. Our last tweet in response to Donald Trump's comment about Rosie O'Donnell comes from, I'm going to say it, she's been on the show before, our good friend, Melissa Etheridge, and I should say musician warrior, lesbian warrior. Here's her tweet. OMG, I wish hashtag Trump would get over at Rosie. I don't think our next president should have such a weird obsession with my friend. <laughs> Donald Trump has an obsession with Rosie O'Donnell. I wish he had an obsession with me. You know, don't you think that that would be kind of weird? Non-conforming lesbian as his obsession. I wonder what sexist thing he would say about me. Anyway, I hope the debate went well. Maybe you should share your thoughts. Head to michellemeow.com. We're going to take a quick break right here, but when we come back, our conversation with author Jeff Chang. Welcome back. Our special guest tonight is author Jeff Chang and activist. I'm so excited to speak to him about his new book, We're Gonna Be All Right, Notes on Race and Resegregation. Some of you may have lived through the time of segregation and also desegregation, but what about resegregation? Let's get to the interview. I'm so excited about your new book, We Gonna Be All Right, Notes mm. on Race and Resegregation. Let's talk about Donald Trump and his I guess uh, I should say his contribution to the racial issues that we're facing here in this country today. Mm. Well, yeah, Donald Trump uh, has been, I think, somebody who um, has studied carefully the culture wars. Uh, and so it's no mistake that he uses all kinds of lines from Richard Nixon going back to the 1960s, law and order, Trump stands for the silent majority, um, sort of racializing 
uh, conflict, um, uh, you know, uh, on all kinds of levels, um, his anti-immigrant, anti-migrant stances, anti-black stances, uh, Islamophobic stances. Um, he has tried to figure out a way to, I think, uh, capture uh, this sense of, uh, of falling, I think, for the white middle class and the white working class um, by playing up on fears, you know? And so in some ways he's using the oldest playbook uh, that's, that's out there, right? The sort of fear of a white racial apocalypse. Um, and it's, it's been there, it's been in our popular culture uh, all the way from the beginning uh, with uh, D.W. Griffith's Birth of a Nation, Cowboys and Indian Stories, um, all these kinds of things, all the way up to now. It's a very, very old narrative and he's kind of trotted it back out to, uh, to move himself forward uh, in the polls. And so I think he kind of has boxed himself in. It was really interesting in the debates to kind of hear him taking stances uh, to the left of Hillary as well as to the right of Hillary, um, talking about Hillary uh, creating all of these uh, kinds of problems through their crime bills, um, and on the other hand, sort of, you know, pillaring her for, for sort of catering to uh, Black Lives Matter uh, activists. Fear is a very real thing for those of us who are witnessing what I guess I consider an uprising of, uh, you know, racism mm -hmm. that's still deep-rooted here in this country. It, it's, it's scary to think that people are affected by this strategy of his, and we're witnessing actual people on social media, on, uh, through traditional media, be racist, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. Well, I, you know, I think that fear is, we're living in a fearful moment, you know? Um, we're seeing, um, you know, police gunning down black people in the street literally every day. And uh, on the other hand, we have huge inequality, um, something that's just grown and grown over the last 50 years um, due to the fact that we've unraveled a lot of the civil rights victories uh, of the last 50 years. Um, and so that's left us in a position in which we're more unequal, we're more segregated. And so it feels like this particular moment is full of fear, but what do we do with that fear, mm -hmm. right? Um, and I think that that's the question. Um, even moving past the election, is that fear still gonna be used to demobilize us and pit us against each other? Or is that fear gonna be used to be transforming ourselves into what can be a better, a better country that's more equal and just for all? Um, and I think that that's what the real stakes are of this particular moment. And that's sort of why I've, I've written this book. Mm -hmm. You know, talk to us about why this attitude or this fear may still exist in this country today. Because we've already elected the first African-American president and we're still dealing with racial prejudice and bias and inequalities and mm -hmm. inequity. Right, and I think that in some ways the election uh, of Barack Obama made, us, made many of us feel, hey, things are gonna be cool. Like, we're gonna actually work through all of this stuff. I mean, he put himself forward as a candidate of reconciliation. And what we found was immediately there was a backlash and we're right back into the culture wars. I mean, the culture wars work to divide us, to, to keep us apart, to keep us from seeing what the points of intersection that we, we uh, can have are, right? And, and I think that um, it's been really no mistake that inequality has been able to ride in over the last 50 years um, at the same time that the infrastructure for change towards moving us all towards racial justice and equality 
um, ha has been dismantled, has been taken apart. Not that the infrastructure was always so powerful and perfect in the first place, but what's there has been completely um, unraveled in so many kinds of ways. Um, we kind of have to move beyond this idea that it's a zero sum. We've become comfortable, mm -hmm. like with this idea that if somebody gains, that somebody's going to lose, right? And I think that that's at the heart of the fear mongering, mm -hmm. right? That that is the sort of key psychological kind of key, right? That's a, that's a psychological key that the culture warriors are trying to um, open the door to keeping, you know, to to to. Uh, to, to keep people divided. Um, and so if we're able to, to understand that equality and justice uh, for all lifts everybody up, right, that it can create opportunities for everybody, that it can make uh, our society uh, much more whole, um, much less uh, victimized, uh, much more secure uh, and safe for everybody, then I think that we've got a fighting chance at, at being able to, to turn this around. Don't go away, we'll be right back and we'll continue our conversation with author Jeff Chang. That was just, just a, a mini break, but let's continue playing because there's a second part to that interview. Sorry about that, guys. Let's get back to Jeff Chang, the interview with Jeff Chang, author of We Gonna Be All Right. Let's get back to our interview with Jeff Chang. Do you think that the young, they need the hope, they have the hope, and they're fighting even harder to keep their voices alive? I would think so with things like cell phones and social media yeah, being uh -huh. able to travel so quickly. Absolutely. Well, the first thing is I'm not a millennial. No. Um, <laughs> I'm very post-young. I'm very post-millennial. But I work with uh, young folks every day. I have uh, two sons who are uh, in their teens and one who's in college, right? Uh, so, um, so I'm around young folks all day, every day. And I, you know, and, and so the book is actually dedicated to the young folks who over, I think, the last two, three years have really stood up, taken a stand, um, said, like, this is where it's got to stop. This is where we have to turn things around. Um, they've inspired me. And so the book, in so many ways, is, is kind of a thank you note to uh, the Movement for Black Lives, to uh, the student protesters, um, to the, un the young undocumented folks, um, to um, folks working on... on transphobia um, and homophobia um, to bring uh, the light, to put the spotlight on trans lives, queer lives. Um, those folks have really inspired me. Right. And, and I can't help but think um, that there's something that I should be able to give back to them mm -hmm. in that regard. Mm -hmm. um, and so, you know, on a day-to-day -day type of basis, um, what I try to do is to provide context, to say, here's maybe part of the part of history that you that you didn't necessarily get in your in your education, and and I think also too is to be able to um, pass on uh, the lessons that we've lived through, um, and the tools that might be able to to help um, as they're moving through this. But to also say, like I don't have the I don't have the answers. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to mm -hmm. sit here and be Moses and be like, here's the Ten <laughs> Commandments, because I just don't I don't know. We all have to figure right. this out together. And right. it's got to be intergenerational. I think the most important thing that you know I want viewers to take from our conversation is that this is a very real conversation, and we are acknowledging that African Americans are at the core of racism. Right. And if we can't eradicate that, I mean, all of us are at risk for these inequalities and inequity, don't you think? Absolutely. I think you know 
the reason why we say Black Lives Matter is because it's so obvious from all the statistics and all of the evidence uh, that black lives don't seem to matter um, in the larger context of, of racism in this country, right? And in the larger context of the way that uh, we view ourselves as Americans. And so it's an aspiration that we have to make real, right? Um, it's not about uh, Black Lives Matter versus All Lives Matter. If you say Black Lives Matter, of course all lives matter. It's embedded in the idea. It's the fact that we have to focus on uh, what's happening here with state violence uh, against... Uh, and that was author Jeff Chang, author of We Gonna Be All Right. We kind of cut the interview short as we're running out of time, but you can catch the whole thing at michellemeow.com. Before we let you go, actually, I have a friend who's here in studio from Thailand. Hi, friend. <laughs> You're going to get close to the mic. Get close to the mic. Say hello. Don't be afraid. I want to ask something about, you know, LGBT representation in Thailand. So, it, <laughs> she's being so shy. Why are you being so shy? Come come back. Get, get closer. Get closer. Okay. LGBT in Thailand. Are there... <laughs> Let's talk about LGBT in Thailand. Are there lots of LGBT in Thailand? Yeah. Yes, but they don't call themselves LGBT, right? I don't know. No, no, not 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 say LGBT. Yes, have a lot. But have a lot. Mm. Well, that's good to acknowledge that we exist everywhere in this world. Thanks so much for tuning in to the Michelle Miao Show, your A through Z, covering the LGBT, LMNOP, and everyone in between show. I'm waving around in the gay flag like it's the best thing in the world. Be proud of yourself. Take care of one another. And as we head into 2017, remember the most vulnerable. Remember why we're here. And let's not... Let's not, let's not get weakened, and let's just keep fighting. We'll see you tomorrow at the same time, 4 o'clock Pacific Standard Time. For everything else, you can head to michellemeow.com.